You're listening to Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mindful Metal Jacket. I can't believe it's time to do this again. The days are just flying by. It's a strange and interesting and fascinating phenomenon, isn't it? Are you still quarantining? Maybe you're out. You might be one of these states that's out. Uh, We talk about it this week. Great episode. I just finished the conversation with my friend, Caitlin Palufo, who's a wonderful comedian. And we had a nice talk. We talk um, a bit about quarantining and the pandemic and our feelings. Um, I'm sure you're hearing a lot of quarantine talk on your podcast and the news and all that. And um, so we talk about it a little bit. Try not to talk about it too much because I know people are maybe tired of hearing about it. But it's hard not to uh, talk about it, especially on a podcast about mindfulness and stress and anxiety and all that stuff. So we chat about it. Uh, it might get slightly political. I don't know. Maybe it'll turn you off. That's okay. I can't really care that much about that. That's something I'm working on mentally. So, yeah, that's what we do. But anyways, we talk a lot about our um, our late night sets. Uh, Caitlin did the late show with Stephen Colbert and I did the same show before when it was Letterman and we both have had uh, panic attacks before shows. You're going to, you're going to hear about this. I don't know why I'm telling you so much about it, but um, she's dealt with anxiety and we, we dig deep into um, her family a little bit. I just said dig deep and then said a little bit. That didn't quite make sense. I say a few things on this podcast that are going to make you think I'm dumb. Maybe you always already thought that. I'm not dumb, but sometimes I lose words. Anyways, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying healthy. And um, I hope you're doing the best you can do. We also talk about service. She's out there doing it. We talked about it last week with Tommy Jonigan. Um, and uh, she's doing Meals for Wheels. She'll tell you all about it. Check out Caitlin Palufo. And I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you're doing well. I appreciate you listening and subscribing. And uh, keep leaving those nice reviews. They, they help and they mean a lot to me. And uh, reach out if you'd like. And uh, I won't plug live dates yet because I don't know when I'm going to be performing live. Uh, I'm at Side Splitters in Tampa in August. They're promoting it, so it looks like it's on. We'll see what happens when everything gets opened up, if there's another spike or whatever. Anyways, I hope you're doing well, and I hope you're being kind to one another because that's what we need. And uh, here comes a quote from my main guy, Thich Nhat Hanh. This is from his book called Good Citizens, which I bought a while back. And the nice thing about these Thich Nhat Hanh books is you can just open them up to a random page and you'll find some wisdom. And that's what I did here. And this is from a section called Finding Our Own Path to Happiness. Each of us has the capacity not only for great happiness, but also for bringing great happiness to others. Each of us has Buddha nature. If we practice the ways of living happily in the present moment, we will water the seed of Buddha nature within us and help it to grow. So do that. Do something nice for somebody else today and enjoy this podcast. I appreciate you listening. Take care of yourself and enjoy this conversation that I enjoyed very much with my friend, uh, hilarious, wonderful comedian, good person, Caitlin Palufo.
But anyways, we're live. This is it. This is the podcast. We're live. Can I ask? Now I am also. Are you there wearing? We go. I'm on a pillow. Are you wearing pajamas with hot dogs? I can't see very well. Oh no! Um, there. It's just a shirt with hot dogs on it. Okay, so they are I, hot dogs. They are hot dogs. I got it in Atlanta. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. It was five dollars. I was like, why not? It makes me laugh when I look down. Great. It's great. Well, I think that light blue color is synonymous with pajamas to me. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess anything could be a pajama if you really wanted it to be. If you put your mind to it, anything could be pajamas. And I don't think there's a greater life lesson that we're going to get to. No, not at all. We just, we kind of went heavy and hard at the beginning. Anything is a pajama if you put your mind to it. Yeah. I mean, if you really want it to be a pajama, sleep in it and it's officially a pajama. (laughs) That's a pajama. I I wore jeans as pajamas for many years in my drinking days. (laughs) <laughs> Good for you. You know, at least you're clothed. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, usually. I usually woke up uh, clothed. Let me let me just get right into it. How are, how are you doing? How are you handling uh, this pandemic quarantine? Yeah, I am. Um, there are days when I'm totally optimistic and productive. And then there are days when I uh, think that it's awful and I can't get off the couch and I'm so sad. <laughs> yeah, that's. I feel the same way. And I feel mm-hmm. like... Um, you mentioned sad. I feel like sadness isn't like brought up enough. Like it's this yeah. feeling of like the unknown and there's everyone's talking about anxiety and not, you know, not knowing what's going to happen. And then also fear because everyone's afraid of getting it. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's like deeply sad. So many yes. things, the way it's been uh, sort of handled or whatever. And uh, that's me being afraid to talk about politics on a podcast. Um, (laughs) But also, but like the missing of events and friends and family. Mm -hmm. And then obviously uh, the death. I mean, like, have you been directly affected by it? Do you have any family members that have gotten sick? No, luckily uh, I haven't had any family members that have gotten sick. I also um, haven't had really any friends get too sick from it um which is nice but uh i (laughs) it's the sadness is like my i have family members who are nurses and friends who are nurses and they're like we're just seeing death constantly and it's very very sad and um and then it's also um i have some family members who think it's all a hoax and they're part of the uh people who are like they're not out there protesting, but they're online saying like, you know, uh, people are also dying from heart disease, uh, at a higher rate. So who cares? Let's get back to work. And like, that is also deeply sad to see that they really don't give a shit when my family members, like my father have like diabetes and are at high risk. And they're just like, who cares? Let them die. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a weird, uh, that's a weird take. Cause I, I do understand the, the thing of like, we got to try to open things up a little bit. We got to try to get the economy. Cause the economy is getting a night. Like, I don't understand how that's going to work Yeah, uh, with the economy getting destroyed. But then there's the people that are just like, this is bullshit, man. And then there was that thing mm-hmm. of like, film your hospital where they were like going to hospitals that weren't affected. Did you see that? Or have you heard about that? No, I haven't seen that. There was like a, <laughs> I don't know, a movement or a website or something that was like, as I understand it, I didn't, I don't, I never dive deep into these things, but it was a mm-hmm. thing like called film your hospital or film my hospital where people would go to their local hospital in like South Dakota and be like, 
I don't see no COVID or whatever, oh which I was, Sarah and I were joking. It would be like the equivalent of we took photos of ourselves and be like, there's not an obesity epidemic epidemic. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Look at it. Yeah. Um, uh, that is infuriating. Yeah. That is. Ah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it makes me think of just like, it's like uh, terrorism is a big issue and it's not a big issue in South Dakota because no one gives a shit about South Dakota, but it's in New York and it's in the big cities anyway. Uh, but that's a, <laughs> I don't even know if that's close enough to relate, but it just like, yeah, we should care about it because we're a nation and it's happening to your fellow citizens and you just don't give a shit. Yeah, You're and- just like, it's not affecting me. So who cares? Um, it's not a, it's not always a big government conspiracy. People are dying. Well, that, that's what I, I think is interesting, too. Like, I've heard a couple of people. I saw a guy that I went to high school with post that, like, the Democrats did it. They set this up to uh, whatever. And I'm like, I, I'm a, I've, I, tip, I tend to vote Democrat, but I'm like, I don't think the Democrats are smart enough to pull this off if they wanted to. <laughs> I'm like, this is, Democrats stink. They got Biden as their guy. I'm like, there's no way. They were yeah. able to set this up. Um, <laughs> like they're too incompetent to do that. Yeah. But I mean, oh God. But anyways, uh, it's but yeah, that that part of it is sad to see. Um, like so, the the divide of people. I mean, remove from pol. I guess you can't remove it from politics. But the fact that there's people that are like. Um, with machine gun, like even if you want to protest, mm-hmm. like this is uh, tyrannical, tyrannical. How do you say that? Tyrannical. Is that tyrannical. right? Tyrannical. Um, mm-hmm. That sounds like a you spider. You nailed it. Um, <laughs> even if you think that, I'm like, you don't have to have your machine guns there, surely. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, it's definitely sad that like the country can't even like be like, where you not everyone get together because 9/11, it felt like everybody mm-hmm. for at least a couple weeks was like, yeah, we got to get together, and then we were like, we're gonna. We'll go attack Iraq. And everyone was like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of went backwards Uh, (laughs) and then divided even more. But right now it's like the country is so divided. But have you noticed this like in New York, at least walking around the streets uh, when we have to go get stuff? People are very nice. People in New York City have been very nice. Like we've been on a rooftop and people are like, hey, how are you? Usually we would just like ignore each other and just fuck off. But this everybody was everybody's just been kind and patient. Yeah, I have a story that's sort of that, but in between where there was a guy yesterday I was walking I'm, I'm in Queens here. You're not in Queens. Mm-hmm. Sometimes We're you in Brooklyn. Are. You're in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I was walking up the street here, my street, and there was a guy that had a mask but it was on his head. Mm-hmm. Like a like a catcher that went to the mound. <laughs> and yeah. he was just coughing whatever out loud, unprov whatever. And oh. I walked by him and then there was like two like real New York mooks you know getting out of their truck and they were like oh what the fuck with that guy and i was like right (laughs) and then i started talking in a new york accent back i was like what the fuck and we were all like what the fuck and it felt good it was like i got those dopamines that you need where you kind of bond yeah but none of us confronted the guy we all just kind of made friends with each other because we all had masks on we were like oh what enough for nothing and it was it was kind of it was (laughs) kind of fun but that i've seen a few people just walking around you know yeah and Here's what I was talking about with a friend that was like, even if you think quarantining is stupid or wearing a mask is stupid, I, just do it because that's what we're doing. Yeah. That's what, like, that's the thing. We're all like, okay, we're doing this. And I know people are going to say like, ah, oh, you shouldn't be just we and just go with the herd. But I'm like, well, we're a team. We're, we're living in a society mm-hmm. and we're wearing a mask. So 
even if you're like masked or dumb, I don't want to wear it. Just just do it because that's what the team is doing. Yeah, that's where we are right now. People on both sides are like, you should wear masks. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is important. <laughs> we'll do the mask. That is thing. what you should do. And they're, I mean, it's like, what are you? Do you think you're invincible? Like, do you think this is, and like, do you think that you can't possibly hurt anybody else? I don't know. It's just, it's another, it, it goes back to like the lack of science being used and it just drives me crazy because all you have to do is just pay the slightest bit attention and you realize that you need to cover your fucking face. Right. And yeah, if peer pressure is the way to do it, do that. Come on. <laughs> well, that's the all the cool kids are wearing masks. <laughs> yeah, that's and then that's why I'm like we should design fun masks with skull and crossbones and shit so you can be like, yeah, you can be cool about it mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, yeah. but that's the thing I get anxiety about cuz this this is something that gives me anxiety and I had this even before uh whatever COVID and everything is Every story I read, I'm like, that's how I feel now. That's I'm so easily um, like I'll read an, an article from like the doctors being like, we have got to stay in. Like if we all come out, like it's gonna just explode. And now they're mm-hmm. saying three thousand people a day are gonna die, and I'm like, fuck, we better quarantine. And then I'll hear from like a economist. Jesus, why am I economist? Lord? Economist. <laughs> oh man, I gotta. <laughs> Economist. I mean that that's more fun. That's more fun to say. An economist. <laughs> and he's like, we gotta if we don't do it, it's gonna be uh the Great Depression again and the Great Depression two and Hitler came from the Great Depression and we're already headed towards uh, a populist, blah blah blah. And I'm like, we gotta open so then I get this horrible anxiety because mm-hmm. both things sound right, but then I come back to the thing, and this is what always is helpful, and hopefully this can be a, a nugget for everybody, I guess, mm-hmm. is you come back to like, what can I do? I can't control any of that. What can I do? And yes. I'm like, let me reach out to somebody that maybe is um, stressed or anxious or mm-hmm. just bored or alone or with yeah. someone they hate. Um, yeah. <laughs> and let me just see. And I'll try to meditate and relax and just do what I can do because I can't control. Let go and let God as yeah. we say, life on life's yeah. terms, all those things. Yeah, I, I've i been trying to kind of let that go, especially when it comes to like career stuff. Um, it's because I'm like, I just went to being a full-time comic in the city before this hit. So I'd been doing that for like six months and it was like a dream come true. And then I just realized how fragile that is when this hit and I was like, Oh, now I'm completely unemployed. I have no other job prospects. I don't know what to do. So that keeps me up at night. That's where like the panic and the worry comes in. Um, and then will it open up? Will it not? I'm 33 years old. And after this is all over, I'll be 34. And as a woman in comedy, I may as well be 87 right. <laughs> sometimes. But then I know that times are changing and I go on the other side. And it's like, it's all going to be okay. Like as long as you're funny and you use face cream, you'll be fine. Yeah, you got to use <laughs> like the face cream. Ju- got to use it. You got to moisturize, baby. But then it's like, okay, well, that's all very selfish thinking. So what can I do to help people who have it, you know, who are worse off than me or, you know, are lonelier because I'm very, I look at the things that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful that I have Steve, my boyfriend. I'm grateful that I have this apartment. I can afford this apartment. Um, and so I go back. And so one thing that I started doing, we like did little things that help. Like we gave blood. Like that's, that was a nice thing to be like, okay, we did something. And then I started doing meals on wheels. Oh, that's great. Which is like, yeah, it's, it's nice. And it's just a little thing. It only takes like 
two days a week for three hours each day. And it's like this just little tiny thing that has helped me um, not feel like a selfish dick for being so self-centered about my career. And <laughs> I don't know. And then, but then that that's also all about me. What about just doing something to be doing something? I don't know. It's been a mess over here in this brain, I would have to say. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, kind well, of a spiraling shit show. So a couple of things. I mean, first of all, that's great. Last, last week's episode, I was talking with Tommy Jonigan and we talked about like that kind of desire to help mm-hmm. and be of service, but also mm-hmm. in this time, like you have to be, you're like, I can't be too of service because I have to worry about my own finance or your own health in your instance mm-hmm. uh, with going out. So what what does the Meals on Wheels entail? Do you drive a truck and whip food out? Do you throw the hot dogs at oh. people? <laughs> yeah, I throw them out the window. Get ready, Grandma. Um, <laughs> no, it's... um. I asked, uh, there's a comic, uh, a friend of mine, Ethan SP, he's a nurse, and Steve's mother made masks um, to donate, and so we gave, we give whatever masks she makes, we give to him, and I was like, what can I do, because I feel like I'm just doing nothing, and he was like, you have a car, which I do, I have a car, uh, they need people to do meals on wheels, um, so what we do is, every Wednesday and Friday, we drive to the place, we have to bring your own mask and gloves and um, you, they give you the meals. They give you like 10 stops. You put the meals in your car and then you go up um, and you don't make any contact with anybody. You, they have a door, uh, a bag on their doorknob that you put the meals in with your gloves. You put the meals in and then you knock on the door and say, meals on wheels. And then you run away <laughs> and then they take the bag from the door. There's been a few times where um, some people have been so frail that they can't even lift the bag. And so they've asked me to come in and put it on their uh, counter or on their microwave. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. And that I was like, I didn't know what to do, but it's like, what am I going to say no to this woman who can't, who she's like shaking and can't physically get herself up. Um, So, and she lives on like a six floor walk up. Like what the hell is she going to do? So at that point, like, you have to go in their house and put it on, but I hold my breath. Don't touch anything. Leave it on there. Run away. And that's why you're wearing all the masks and the gloves and stuff. But yeah, that's other a, than that, it's pretty low risk. I would say that's amazing. I mean, that's like a beautiful thing to do. And, um, cause that's the thing, like you always want to do something. I feel like people get, um, stuck cause they just don't know what to do or where to go or how else to mm-hmm. do things. And especially like normally I think a lot of people are just like, I'll, I'll donate money. Cause it's like the easiest thing mm-hmm. to do not to take away from donating money. That's uh, a nice thing to do. But in this day and age, it's hard because most people aren't working. Mm-hmm. So it's nice that you're actually out doing something it's like well that's the thing i haven't gotten unemployment yet and i'm still waiting and the money's going down and so i'm i can't get, donate money because that was what i was doing in the beginning i was like oh this will only last a month i'll donate money to this fund and that fund and now it's just going down and down and down and i'm like i have no money to give all i have is my health so what can i do i mean yeah so that that's literally the only thing i and if Ethan hadn't told me about it, I probably wouldn't have even thought of it. Right. Um, so kudos to Ethan. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Ethan. Cause Ethan's, uh, yeah. I assume he's working as a nurse. Yeah. So he's he, working at a nurse as a nurse. Yeah. So he's doing service and he's, uh, helping other people figure out how to serve, which is mm-hmm. great. Um, yeah. 
I forget what I was going to say now. So, so you live with Steve Rogers, who's a past guest, and he's a very yes. anxious guy. How is Steve doing? And what is it like living with someone that's that anxious? Do you think my wife secretly wants to kill me? Is the question. <laughs> I've actually, <laughs> I've actually the... been good. I've actually been pretty good on this. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Steve, uh, he is an anxious guy, but we both go back and forth because um, I'm pretty anxious too. I just hide it better. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we go back and for- forth with sharing the um, it's all going to end, our careers are over type of spiral. Um, but it hasn't been too bad. We're very, we have a lot of fun together. And so we really enjoy each other's company. And so when we're getting sad and down, we do a very good job of distracting the other one. Um, like we play Yahtzee a lot. We have puzzles. I drink, uh, <laughs> not too heavily, but I do drink. And so I make us cocktails every once in a while. And, um, it's been pretty fun. We also make sure we talk cause we can tell when the other one's going down. Right. Um, right. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. We can tell like sums up some, whoop, sums. <laughs> right. And so, will communicate it's not you i am feeling sad because of this this and this okay i understand let's sit and watch hgtv and drink wine (laughs) okay (laughs) like it's so we're very good at talking to each other and then distracting ourselves um but no i don't want to kill him there's never been a point where i wanted to kill him (laughs) for being so anxious right so that's great Uh, i mean that's the thing it has to you have to have that kind of balance and i feel like a lot of time i forget who i was talking to about this it was a couple weeks ago now but uh, oh it was Greg Stone Um, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times I think that sociologically like somebody's always more anxious than the other so it's almost like you take Mm -hmm. turns like one person is freaking out and you're like okay today's your day Uh, it's gonna Mm -hmm. be okay and we're gonna make money and And then two days later it's like hey today it's me I'm losing my mind Mm -hmm. and I've had moments like that in my relationship or in relationships in general with friends, we are like, hey, can I actually take today? Because my <laughs> my dad just didn't call me back or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely that balance. And like you said, I think communication is is so key in this time to like yeah. get those feelings out there of like, hey, I'm feeling this mm-hmm. way and I got to at least say it. Because I feel like just saying something, you feel mm-hmm. better afterwards. Well, that's where Steve is. I think much better than me. He loves to talk things out and I'm very much my father's daughter, which is to, it'll be fine. I'm fine. Things will be fine. And just stoic and plow through. Um, and he's very much a little more, I I could tell something's up. Let's get it out of you. And so now it's, you have to talk because we're, what else are we going to fucking do? We're just (laughs) staring at each other. Um, and so actually this quarantine has helped us actually know how we communicate when we're both stressed and not snap at each other. Cause I, I snap, I build, 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 and then I snap. Um, and so he's made it easier to get to the build, build, and then not the build, 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 build snap. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, you seem like somebody that can really go off. I would not want you upset with me. <laughs> I think it's just like, you got an Italian last name. I don't know what it is, but uh, it's, it definitely feels I, like you could, you could go off. It takes a lot for me to go off and it has to be, um, I have to have really felt like you've wronged someone else. Right. Uh, you can, I get shouted at and I'm like, all right, whatever, you know, but if you shout at someone I love, then I'll just fucking like, I'll lose my shit on people who are mean to Steve. Right. Um, he's a sensitive 
guy and he's a nice guy. He's, he's you know, he's going to keep the peace. Oh, yeah. And I will just what'd you say to him? <laughs> like yes. people honk at him and I get mad. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> but See, that's, I mean, in terms of really losing my temper, it's, it's rare. Um, that's, but it does happen. That's beautiful to me. I always love scenes where a lady's like, not my man. And, uh, I always, I've always like longed for that. I don't know. Maybe the movie field of dreams or something. I don't know what put that into me, but there's something about, that's very, uh, exciting to me. And, uh, I hope you never get mad at me cause I shit on Steve pretty hard. I mean, uh, <laughs> no, but he loves you. Oh, okay. Oh, I love him very much. Yes. And I know that to be true. So I, you can shit on each other all you want, oh, although great. he would never shit on you. <laughs> he tries but here and there, but doesn't uh, here and there. It's cute. It's, uh, <laughs> it's an adorable attempt. But so you're, you're coming. You, wait, where did you grow up? I grew up in San Francisco Bay Area. That's so yeah. weird. I don't like I know you, I've known you for a while. I feel like I know you pretty mm-hmm. well, but I did not. Mm-hmm. Kn- you ever like have people that, you know, and then you're like, I have no idea where that person is from. Yeah. And I'm I mean, sure I get, we've talked about it. I've, I get that a lot. A lot of people think I'm from the Midwest. Um, apparently I have a Midwest vibe and that's fine with me. Interesting. Um, See, I think of but, you as like Pennsylvania, New Jersey. I think again, yeah. like Moody McCarthy <laughs> is a friend of ours. Everybody thinks he's from Boston cause his name's McCarthy, but he's up from where Steve is. He's from Syracuse. Yeah. And I think anyone named Palufo, anyone with an Italian name, I'm like, I think they're from Jersey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I think Greg Stone has actually said that about me as well. He's like, you're not from New Jersey? <laughs> what the hell? And I'm like, no, I'm from the opposite of New Jersey. Um, Interesting. Did but, you start comedy yeah. in San Francisco? No, I started in New York. Um, I started in New York six years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah, but I've been in New York for 10. Um, just uh, I came here for art school and accumulated massive debt and then started comedy which has actually been much more lucrative than my art career so <laughs> it's a more lucrative yeah field i feel like there's not a lot of famous artists from this yeah. generation they're all from mm-hmm. uh you know the 1300s yes exactly and it's all very actually the art scene and the comedy scene are very similar in um you know how you rise I guess. Right. But, uh, and like festivals are much like residencies. There's a lot of similarities. Um, but yeah, comedy is way better. <laughs> but the most famous artists are famous because of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So it's a tough, it's a tough field. Like if, if you were like name a bunch of famous artists, it wouldn't take long before people were just naming Ninja Turtles. That's yeah, it's true. I actually, uh, Leonardo, uh, Da Vinci, um in college he made me want to go into i loved him and i took a class on him. i have a tattoo of him on my back <laughs> not of his face but one of his works <laughs> oh i thought you meant the ninja turtle no no <laughs> i was like that's amazing <laughs> yeah i am oh surprise <laughs> <laughs> um, just i have a, a ninja turtle tramp stamp but <laughs> you didn't see that coming <laughs> that would be amazing if you just had a big donatello right above your ass um <laughs> Just eating a slice of pizza that goes down the crack. That'd be beautiful. <laughs> I think that's something to think about for sure. Um, so you grew up in San Francisco. Are your parents together? Yes. Uh, yeah, they're still together. It's been almost 40 years. Oh, wow. What was that noise? Yeah. Is it not? Is it up and down? or? <laughs> it's up and down. Yeah, they're very uh, passionate people and, um, you know, Italian. And uh, just uh, for the longest time, my parents... They were together, they, constantly, they fought a lot, a lot of scream fighting um, growing up. And then uh, 
because my dad just lets it build and then snaps and you would shout like really, really scream. Right. And it was, you know, kind of scary, but he we never got beat or anything like that. Um, and then uh, my mom just when I went away to college, my mom just like s- flipped a switch and they almost got divorced. And so my dad had to go to tremendous amounts of therapy and self the self-help stuff just the whole thing and it took like three years but now he's a completely different guy oh wow and i have yet to hear him raise his voice um so it's completely switched and because he suffers from anxiety big time a lot of my family does my little sister does my mom does my dad big time on a scale i think there's like a scale of one to it's like one to 18 or something like that of like uh, no anxiety to not being able to leave the house and he was like uh two points away from the top oh wow um, 16 so he's yeah there you go hey <laughs> hello mr math i'm coming uh, back i had to make up for the <laughs> economist <laughs> what are you an economist um <laughs> i cannot in my heart say that poorly <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no um but yeah so he's and we once and once he started going to therapy and figuring that out they realized that that's how bad his anxiety was and they're like okay well we have to work on that because that's what's making the shouting screaming situation happen and wow. uh yeah and he really like i'm so proud of my dad because he did so much work and he is just really it's night and day it's been I think six years since that big blow up and it's just a completely different situation. Well, okay. So you were an adult then. This isn't like you were a kid, like you were an adult knowing that he was going to this, um, was it like a TM meditation therapy group? Like, or was it a variety of things? It was a variety of things. He did individual one-on-one therapy. He did, they did marriage counseling and then he would go to group, uh, therapy where he would sit in a group and share about, uh, anxiety and panic disorders. Um, and he did that and then he stopped drinking. That was a big help. Wow. And, um, and then eating right and stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was mainly what he did. Um, from what I understand, I was in New York at the time, but that's from what he told me. And it was, I remember being like, Oh my gosh, because he brought out his binder from all the groups that he did and he kept all his name tags and it was just covered in name tags from every time he went and he would go like twice or three times a week and it was just so many name tags. And I was like, dad, (laughs) like it was a huge, yeah. I mean, he worked really hard and he's in a much better place and their marriage is much better. And I rarely hear them even bicker. (laughs) It's nice. (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, that's like inspiring to me. And I think people like, that's something that's nice for people to hear because I think there's a thing with therapy or sobriety mm-hmm. and all these things that people are like, it's too late to change. People have that mm-hmm. mindset. So he, I mean, he, I imagine he must, if you were, if this was six years ago, he must've been at least in his fifties, I would think, or forties, I guess. He's yeah, he's, uh, he started it in his late fifties and he's now 62. Yeah. So yeah, he must've been around 55 when he started. Um, and it was very much my mom did the ultimatums like we either fix this or we get a divorce. And they they were the only two people they've ever been with. So it was he was like, I, I got to fix this. Right. Um, oh, good for that. And good for her for like asserting herself and yes. um, mm-hmm. and doing that. Um, but I love to hear that. I, lo- I like I love any kind of story of like transformation mm-hmm. of like putting the work in because all this stuff is available and it's it's 
not easy, but you're you're able to change. But it's for the people mm-hmm. that want it and not people that need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that he got to a point where he's like, I need to do this and I want mm-hmm. to do this is, yeah. um, that's great. That's inspiring. Yeah. Now, are you a therapy person? Um, I was for a little bit and then I couldn't afford it. And, um, <laughs> I had to stop and then I actually just got Medicaid. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back. I am a therapy person aspirationally, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I, love I had it. to go. I had to go because my uh, when I get depressed, I drink more, mm-hmm. um, and that's uh, I wanted to get that. Uh, my biggest fear is to drink my future away. Sure, um, I've done that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you you came out I the other side. I turned it around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you only pulled because a Gary. <laughs> only because I got sober. Yeah, is Gary your dad? Gary's my dad. Okay, yeah. I immediately thought Veter, and I was like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> Yeah, you shrunk. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> became to, monotone. I, <laughs> um, no, but like it was that same sort of thing. I mean, I was in, I was, I was in a relationship, but I didn't. Sarah never gave me an ultimatum, but she was definitely. She said since, like, yeah, this wasn't gonna last if you kept drinking like that, because she was already yeah. sober, mm-hmm. and I was never like an asshole to her. But like, I'd be like slurring and fucking falling down and pissing my pants whatever yes yeah and um i think a big thing i started going because i was in a relationship with a person who that's how he was he was drinking a lot every night coming home at like 4 a.m we weren't talking we were but we were living together and it was i was like i don't want to be that and i was so afraid that that's what drinking was going to do to me and and I realized the root of why I was drinking was because I wasn't happy. Right. And I also had an enabler, someone who was just like constantly, well, you never spend time with me. I'm working at the bar. You have to come. And so I'd have to go to where he worked and then we would inevitably drink too much. And then I would wake up the next day hating myself. So this whole cycle that she helped me figure out how to, you know, snip um, and make it a healthier situation. And then ultimately that relationship didn't work. And, uh, um, I moved on obviously. And it helps a lot that, you know, Steve isn't a big drinker. Um, so I think with Steve, I think I've only been drunk, drunk, like a handful of times. And we've been together for almost, almost two years, I guess. Is that right? Yeah. Year and a half for sure. I think in September, it's going to be two years. Yeah. That's just because I met you with Steve, right? That's when I first met you. We went to bananas together. And you drove? Yes, but we weren't dating then. We right. were just friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cuz I remember We started dating after that. Yeah. Yes, I remember um that's when I remember meeting you cuz he was like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's going to pick us up and I was like, okay, great. And yeah. uh it was really fun. <laughs> I got emotional recently. Oh, I was doing your show with Chloe, mm-hmm. another past mm-hmm. guest, and then we were all bullshitting on the Zoom. And we hung up and I was like, oh, man, like, I just want to be in a car with you guys. Like, because we've done a couple gigs where we're all in the car. And Mm -hmm. with the not to go back to (laughs) pandemic quarantine, but like you don't realize how much you miss it until you kind of put yourself there mentally. The idea of like all being in a car together, driving to a gig with like the gig is just like in the way of the fun. You know, you're like, I can't wait to get back in that car and hit a diner. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's like that's another going back to the sadness of this. Mm-hmm. is because there's a lot of like anger and fear but like that sadness of like oh i miss hanging out with uh all my little buddies yeah i was talk. i forget who i was talking to about it but it was a similar thing it was like comedians like because i've been applying for grants and stuff and they ask you how much money you uh didn't get like how much money you lost and 
like yeah the money loss you see that number and you're like damn that's a lot of number that's a big number um but then it's also that was secondary to the fact of the stage time and the community and the people it's like oh i could have been you know carpooling with my friend jill we were supposed to go up to new hampshire that was going to be so fun and i was only getting paid like 200 dollars for that gig but we were gonna hang out and be together and just like the whole camaraderie of it, the people you meet, the people you hang out with, and then the stage time alone. It's like, ugh, God, that's what I want more than the money. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. I do that for free right now. It's fun. And then the trail, like I was in this time, I would have been in like uh, Joshua Tree State Park. I was going on a vacation and then ugh. I was doing Moon Tower, which is like mm -hmm. the funnest ugh. of going up to Boston for Patriots Day. And you're like, God, it's like so many memories wiped out, but you have mm -hmm. to come back to that gratitude of like, there's a lot of people, thousands and thousands of people that have passed away and they get no. Yes. Like, I'm like, mm -hmm. we can swing around and do that next year. But I get the frustration of like, especially where you're at in your career in that you're taking off and you've just did a late night and um, you're getting all this headlining work. And it's that thing of like, are they going to remember me when I come back mm -hmm. is a very uh, scary thing. Yeah. And frustrating. And like, there's, Comedy shows, we're so used to doing these benefits. Mm -hmm. um, and the, oh, I've done a couple here and there. And you're like, well, we need benefits. Like, we have, we have no job either. <laughs> it's where they're like, we're doing a show to raise money for the, uh, the staff of the comedy club, which is great. But I'm like, mm -hmm. well, I'm the staff of the comedy club. I don't have any money. <laughs> um, obviously, yeah. I'm always grateful to do shows. But, like, there's that thing of, like, I don't know. There's going to be a lot of comedians that are like, I have to go home. I can't mm -hmm. do this. Um yeah. And it's a it's a shame because there's so many there's so many talented comedians who are poor and there's a lot of um, OK comedians who are wealthy. <laughs> oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of the and worst. So it's like, oh, <laughs> now we're just going to be stuck with OK comedians. No, bring the poor guy. Um I don't know. So <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't know. I brought that up and I'm like it's actually just depressing. I don't even know where yeah. to go with it. But But yeah, I mean it's been I mean, it's been terrifying um, just because of uh, I also the, like the way I do comedy is like very much in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not really I can't really sit down and write like Steve is great. He's able to sit down, write a joke and then, um, you know, perform it. And like me, it's like I come up with the premise. I write down some thoughts and then I go on stage and I just, you know, figure it out. Um and now I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be that kind of comedian <laughs> because I have nowhere to do that now. <laughs> right. Well, it was working for you. I mean, I feel like you could do that on uh, Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. And, and you know, yeah. Sarah, my wife, has just been putting bits on TikTok and one of them has like 250,000 views. She's just Hell literally yeah. saying a bit into the camera. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. There are. <laughs> yeah. I got to do that. But also Sarah's very funny and extremely talented so that makes sense <laughs> she is but you are as well um oh, so well. that style of comedy that you're you're talking about has that is that just how you started right away well um i think the first year you don't know what you're doing certainly but luckily i was in um new york <laughs> is my neighbor's dog is oh little pooch yeah um but luckily in new york you can get up so much that like the first year or two years I did comedy, I was getting up between like 25 and 30 times a week, wow. just doing open mics and just running around and sprinting 
to from mic to mic to mic and I was able to make a lot of friends which is how you know that's <laughs> I every, that's how everybody starts comedy <laughs> right I'm saying something totally unique um no but like I was able to do that which um built a lot of confidence stage wise especially because I started hosting open mics um which it does so much for a comic because it's half improvising uh half on the spot figuring out from between comic to comic yeah and there's also um, a lot of watching a lot of different kinds of comics too when i first moved here mm-hmm. i did the same thing i was hosting the open mic at the comedy village mm-hmm. and it's not like it's not like you're taking from comics but you're picking up things of like oh that that's how mm-hmm. you handle a drunk or that's how you handle it late the late spot and you, you can really learn a lot from sitting around yeah watching a lot yeah of shows. and you have to be there and you have no choice but to watch them <laughs> right. you can't leave <laughs> right um so that was a I think huge, but also, oh, this, I guess might be interesting for this podcast. When I started and up until a year ago, um, and this is what my therapist helped me figure out right before I would go on stage about five minutes before on, I went on stage, I would have like a mini panic attack every oh, single wow. time. That makes me feel yeah. like I'm bonded to you. I've done the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, I was telling her, that because I get red in my neck when I'm nervous. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's gotten a lot better. Um, it's no longer, I'm no longer splotchy, Caitlin. Uh, but that's why I don't wear deep Vs and stuff like that. I'm not sexy. Uh, you don't seem I'm, like a deep I, V kind of lady. No, I'm not. I'm wearing <laughs> hot dog shirts. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm not really, uh, ooh, look at my midriff. You know, it might be red. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> but I would get these like mini panic attacks. And I didn't know what they were. I just thought that I was like dispelling energy because I would shake. I would have to talk to someone. I would do rapid fire. I couldn't focus on my notes. I would uh, sweat a little bit and I'd breathe really fast and my heart was racing. And I was like, oh, but I'm just being fun, Caitlin. Like, that's what I thought I was doing. And then I talked to my therapist and she was like, no, (laughs) you're not being you're having a you're on a borderline of having a panic attack. You're right in that gray zone of. Uh, being fun, Caitlin, and having a panic attack. Right. And um, and so for the longest time, I would just go up and I wouldn't have an opening joke. I would just say what I saw. The first three things I said were like, you're wearing a shirt. You're doing this. And you look <laughs> this. Like, I would just do that. And then I'd take a breath. And then I would be able to start. Um, so for like, up until me doing Colbert was when I had to be like, I have to have an opening joke. I can't do that. <laughs> so that crutch is gone. Um, and then I, I had a full on panic attack when I was auditioning for Gotham and my jaw, uh, locked and I couldn't talk and I was sweating and I was in the middle of a set and I knew I was auditioning and it was after Colbert and it was like my worst case scenario, my biggest fear. And then I just went into my Colbert jokes because I knew them from muscle memory. Right. I could barely move my tongue of like this, but I was able to manage to get it out and I got passed. And I was like, okay. So worst case happened and I was fine and I managed to get through it. I'll be okay. And from then on, I haven't had that nearly as bad. Wow. Or even at all. Yeah, see, I relate uh, so much. I have like a very similar kind of story where I've had panic attacks a few times during shows. I've had panic attacks, full panic attacks throughout shows. And it's interesting you say that about just kind of saying the first thing that comes to your head because that's the way I've kind of gotten out of it because the key to getting out of a panic attack or anxiety in general is to come back to the moment. 
Mm-hmm. So I would always find if I was reciting jokes that I knew, it, it's like a it helps and hurts sometimes because mm-hmm. the muscle memory makes it casual. So you can still be in your losing your mind in your head and still reciting mm-hmm. the jokes because you know them. But if you come out and you start doing crowd work, now you're completely in the moment because you're listening to that guy's response mm-hmm. and you're saying new stuff. So it kind of would help me to come out of that panic attack by getting so in the moment by improvising or trying a new brand new bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to kind of develop a style because of trying to defend yourself from a panic attack. And that's pretty like <laughs> yeah. fascinating. But I have the same thing where that's to me the key with anxiety and panic attack is to understand that like you'll be fine and it takes the teeth out of it. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I had a panic attack on Conan like right before and did like a full oh my God. set and I was losing my mind. But through the muscle memory, and this is where it's a negative and or positive is that like, I knew I was like, just say the words. Nobody knows you're losing your mind. Cause I was shaking. Mm-hmm. And if people might be able to see that I'm shaking a little bit, but they'd have to kind of look closely mm-hmm. and you just get the words out and for me, I like I got no joy out of the set because I was having a panic attack and I hated myself for it. I hate having the panic attack. But mm-hmm. it went well and everyone was like, that was a great set, man. <laughs> and so you're like, yeah. <laughs> all right, well, I just had a panic attack on TV and it wasn't so bad. Yeah. I remember there's a, um, Dave Chappelle's Inside the Actors Studio, which is like one of the best things ever mm-hmm. made. And he was talking about he did the Apollo uh, when he was like 14 or something and his grandmother was oh there and his mother and he got booed off stage and they pulled mm-hmm. him off stage and he said he came off and he was like, that was not that bad. You know, he's like, they're booing and it's mm-hmm. embarrassing. But he's like, after that, I was fearless. Like, it's like, I just live the worst thing you can live is getting booed off stage in front of your mother and grandmother at like yeah. the most <laughs> legendary theater. And you're like, I'm fine, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that's like an important thing for people to like know is that, it's it is just anxiety, which is so frustrating when someone's saying yes. that to you, and then mm-hmm. you finally have like this moment of clarity of like, oh yeah, it's just anxiety, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. When I when I did Colbert, I was still you know dancing the line between fun Caitlin and panic attack Caitlin. Sure, but it lasted a long t- like an hour before my set. I was pacing up and down, and I was just like, oh, this is. This is how it happens with everybody because this is my first TV appearance. Obviously, I'm nervous and that's fine. And it was fine and fine and fine. I was pacing and I didn't know how I was supposed to be or how I should be. But I was just like, this feels good. I'm going to do this. And then right before my uh, performance, um, we were standing backstage. I was with my dad and two of my friends and I'm saying my set to my friend, Peter, I'm telling him <laughs> I'm cause I must, I think I did it, ran the set 30 times yeah. before that Friday that week. So between Monday and Thursday, I ran it 30 times. So it was in there. It was muscle memory. It was locked. And then I said it the wrong way. Yeah. And I just full on panic. Oh, like this is on stage like, or right before, right before right. on stage, just full on panic. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then they call my name and I have to go on stage. <laughs> and I was like, Holy shit. And I'm freaking out. They're putting stuff on me and I'm like, literally it's like, Oh, it's going to be a panic attack. This is going to be bad. Like this is, but then I get on stage and I just said the first joke and it hit and I was fine. Yeah. But I do not remember the rest of the set. I don't remember it. Apparently I meowed at a man. Couldn't tell you. Oh, that's I, fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I, f- I have no idea. I feel very similarly about my Letterman set, which is my first late night in the same building at the Ed Sullivan Theater. Mm-hmm. But mine was interesting because I felt 
this inexplicable, I nailed that word. I almost said unexplicable. You did great. um, This like inexplicable (laughs) calm where I had had all these panic attacks before and so much anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I can remember talking to Chris DiStefano. He was telling me about his uh, letterman because he did it like a couple of years or maybe a year before me. Maybe it was two years. Mm -hmm. But I remember him telling me that his leg shaking was the only thing that kept him in the moment that made it feel real. Other than that, it felt like this weird fantasy, but he could feel his leg shaking. And I remember that almost giving me an anxiety attack, putting myself in that position. And then (sighs) shortly before I watched um, Comedian, the documentary, which is one of my favorite Mm -hmm. movies, and Orny does Letterman. And he's Mm -hmm. on, he takes that elevator ride down to go do the show. And um, I remember watching that and being like, having a panic attack. I wasn't even booked to do, oh, maybe I, I was booked at that point. The Christie I hadn't been booked yet, but I was watching mm-hmm. comedian going, "Oh my god, I'm not gonna be able to handle that." That moment where they're like, "Okay, it's time," mm-hmm. and so I was so scared, and I even got Xanax, and I I was like, "I'll carry one in my pocket, like I'll just have it in my pocket just in case." And um, someone was like, "Don't, you can't take a Xanax before you go on TV. It's not gonna be." <laughs> and so I d- didn't end up taking it. And I, but I remember sitting in the green room and Gary Gullman and Nick DiPaolo were there and Sarah. And mm-hmm. I kept thinking, well, right now I'm just sitting in the green room. I have nothing to worry yeah. about. And this is like such like a life lesson that I still try to apply mm-hmm. now. It's like, there's nothing to worry about. I'm just sitting in the green room. And mm-hmm. then I took that elevator ride down and thinking, I'm just on an elevator. I'm just yeah. standing here on an elevator. And that's like that power of, of the moment. Yeah. And every moment I was kind of like, well, now I'm just standing here. And then you go out and you get that first laugh and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, now I'm just doing stand up. Yeah. And this is like, and it's the hottest crowd ever. Yeah. So then you're just kind of like, oh, it's happening. And then almost every late night set I've had, at some point, I have that thing where my brain's like, you're doing it, dude. And then the very <laughs> next line comes out. I I found my uh, (laughs) I've done it every set you can find one moment where I'm like (laughs) and it's because it's that one second where your brain is like dude it's happening you're doing great Mm -hmm. which I have that in every aspect of life sex sports everything it's like you're really doing it and then something um, immediately goes crazy but now I'm able to go oh that's my psychotic anxiety that's acting up yeah I remember at one point I was like, you're almost done. You just have this closer and then you're almost done. And I think that was the point where I me out. I went, <laughs> I went, Arr. I was like, what the fuck? But that's uh, great. Those are those moments that come through and it's you. I mean, yeah, I've done <laughs> yeah, a couple moments where I improvise something or say something weird during a set and people end up liking it because they're like, oh, it felt real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I barely remember that set i just remember seeing my parents or my mom and my sister be like okay and then saying the first line and then it's all pretty much in and out i wish i could remember it because it might not come back (laughs) yeah well i mean maybe if you try watching the set or something it might kind of spark it i mean i can't watch my late night sets but Mm -hmm. um i don't know it's in there and you know you did it and there's something special about that I can remember hearing um, Paul Schaefer laughing, and I think it was Moody McCarthy, second second Moody mention of the pod. <laughs> I think it was him that told me, he was like, you're going to hear Paul laughing, but 
he's got to get like he's got to play as soon as you're done. So he'll start looking at notes. So if he's not laughing, just know that he's getting ready to do something. He's not not laughing at your joke. And it really helped me because there was a moment where I was like, oh, Paul didn't laugh at that one. Um, <laughs> oh, but no. you can actually hear like he was so close. You could hear like papers shuffling. So I have little memories like that of like mm-hmm. that moment of like something's happening right there. Yeah. Um, but oh, it's, it's so weird, cool. but it's a special experience. And yeah, it's good that you got it because eventually all this will come back. But yes, that's what I keep telling myself. Eventually it'll all it'll it'll come back it will come back it has to come back joe yeah well people (laughs) are gonna want to be entertained again i mean i have a show in tampa in august and they're promoting it because it's florida they don't give a fuck so um we'll see i just i think that the live entertainment was the first thing to go so it'll be the last thing to come back Mm-hmm. which makes sense to me because it's like you can't social distance at the fucking comedy cellar yeah so yeah yeah i mean i'm supposed to go to the Velveeta room in austin on uh at the end of may and i messaged them i was like hey how we doing and they're like we're still good to go <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> yeah it's interesting i mean they're opening up i mean that's another weird thing about this COVID is like we're in New York, so it's insane. Like there's body bags and tents, but I was watching a thing. They said there's been more deaths in Westchester County than in Texas. So I do understand people in Texas being like, Hey, uh, let's, let's, what are we doing here? But it's going to go up. I don't, I don't know. Nobody knows is the real. Yeah, exactly. Right after that, I'm supposed to go to Denver too. So it's like the two States that are like opening back up and are ready I'm, I might be going to, so, but who knows? I mean, eh, who knows? Yeah. Well, we'll, I always say, we'll see. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. an old Zen proverb of like, yeah, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. And you like I said, you can only control what you can control. So I guess, and that's a decision for us to make too. I mean, just cause the club is open doesn't mean we need to. Exactly. That's like, am I doing a disservice to society by going and uh, warranting these people to come and see me? Yeah. Although I'm not a draw, so it's fine. But but, and yeah, and and what risk are we putting ourselves? And the whole thing is, uh, Mm -hmm. it's tricky. It's completely uncharted territory. But the comforting thing is, that's that was life before. I mean, before that, you could have died on the plane or in the bus, like uh, like these people are saying. I mean, there's other ways. To die. I don't think that's what they mean, um, no. <laughs> but but there are other there were other risks before. I mean, somebody could have shot you for wearing hot dogs on your shirt. So yeah, yeah. I don't like the way you put your mustard on. Um, Bam. <laughs> I don't know why I gave it that accent, but that's what I chose. <laughs> I don't mustard on a hot dog. You deserve to be shot. I'm a ketchup man. What? I know this is an oft fight I've had in the bleachers yeah. at Fenway Park a lot. Well, get this. I put mayonnaise mustard ketchup and relish on my hot dogs that's a that's wild (laughs) (laughs) i put a lot of juices i need a lot of damp things on my dog that's what i like (laughs) insane now so you have a podcast yes i do yeah um what is it tell these people oh yeah i have a one called good time gal uh, which is about embarrassing drunk stories. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's very fun. Um, silly. Have you had Sarah I, on? You should have Sarah. She's a drunk. Oh, I would love to have Sarah on. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's fun. Good time gal with Caitlin Palupo. And then I have another one about sports um, called Beasts. It's the worst sports show. We basically talk to comedians about their glory days um, as athletes. Did you play sports, Joe? 
Yeah, I was a big, big sports guy. Well, I went when I was in high school. I was, I mean, I was a big baseball and basketball player. Baseball was like my my game that I loved and excelled at. And mm-hmm. then when I went to high school, I started did cross country in the fall, and then I liked it so much. And I failed. I was ineligible for winter sports because I was a horrible student. But my track <laughs> oh. coach already knew me, and he was like, "Well, you can just be on." the track team. And then when you're eligible again, you'll just join the team. You can just run with it. And that wasn't the case with basketball. So I skipped basketball because I was ineligible to try out, but the track coach let me be on the team, even though I was ineligible. And then by the time spring came around, I was so like in the track life that I, I stopped playing baseball and just did spring track. Cause I loved it. So I ended up being a runner, but I was a oh, that's great. baseball player when I was younger and then continued to play Softball because you're one that knows so much about sports. Because when we do our trivia nights, any sports questions, it's like, Joe. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love sports. Yeah. And I love our trivia team, by the way, with yes. a lot of everyone on that show has been a guest on this show now. Everyone on our team. Oh, look our at whole that. Team. You, <laughs> Steve Rogers. <laughs> yeah, Renan Hirschberg and Sarah and myself. And we keep losing because we're so insecure that someone will have the answer and then immediately get convinced. That's happened to us like seven times. We do this trivia yeah. night with a bunch of comics. Moody McCarthy, one of them, third mention. And um, who's the funniest? I'm still laughing about the first time we played where someone said, Moody's wife said, I don't even, oh, we played Pictionary. And Moody's wife said, oh, yeah. I don't even know if you know this word. And then Moody said, now I'm just trying to think of words I don't know. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite jokes anyone's ever made. But anyways, we're getting off track. But we do a trivia night. And it's one of the highlights of quarantine. And we're happy yes. to be on your team. But yeah. Yeah. Our bunch, I think we're going to get them. <laughs> a, bunch, a bunch of times our team has lost a question because the person with the answer has been convinced it was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It happens, you know, but we're getting there. I think we're, our confidence is building each time and we're, and we've come in second both times, haven't we? Yeah. And I think we're having the most fun. That yes. group is not having more fun than us. In fact, no. here comes the fourth mention. Moody is on that team that keeps winning. <laughs> so I guess he knows more words than he's letting on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, okay. So check out those podcasts and yes, um, please. And check out Caitlin's uh, set um, from Colbert. I, I always say Corden. I confuse it because they're both C O C B S late nights. Corden Colbert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, go check it out. Check out Caitlin. She's hilarious, and I appreciate you being on. I hope you had a nice time. That was a lovely time. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. This was great. I feel like I got some stuff out. I feel good. Yeah, it feels good. I've, I want it to be like a little therapy session with also jokes. So um, yeah, I appreciate you doing that was it. great. Thank you, everybody. I love you. And so long. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.